Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is the August 22nd, 2015 Don't Let It Go Unheard. And I guess it's a show whose date is going to go down in infamy or something because Ed in the chat room says, welcome to the UFC match of the century. And Stuart says, I crossed a border to enter this live chat. (laughs) Welcome, everyone. Um, This is where we typically discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism. Tonight, because Ayn Rand herself wasn't really talking about a particular policy of immigration, we are going to try to piece together, first of all, what we think of the so-called greatest political document since the Magna Carta. That is, of course, the Trump immigration plan. I don't know if you saw that tweet that Ann Coulter sent out earlier this week, but she said, here is the greatest political document since the Magna Carta, and then just has a link. And I actually knew what that was going to be because I had already seen, uh, you know, just kind of glanced at the Trump immigration plan. But, you know, you think if you see something like that with Coulter and it's the greatest political document since the Magna Carta, what do you think? You think United States Declaration of Independence, of course. But it's not that. It is indeed the Trump immigration plan. So we will look at that as a segue to having, I guess, the UFC match of the century, as Ed calls it, about immigration policy. I think the UFC match of the century has already taken place, though, over at my blog. And I will give you some observations about how the debate has gone. My blog is don'tletitgo.com. And over there this week, I sent out just a kind of little missive. It was a reaction to a post on immigration that was written by Ed Maslisch, I guess, of over a year ago. And the only reason, I, I should have probably talked about it a year ago, but a friend of mine on Facebook was sending it out there, and I thought it was a new post because I guess I have no brain. Um, And I went and looked at it and said, oh, gee, I think I have some things to say about this. And of course, immigration is now the most important issue in the 2016 debate. So I figured I'd throw some things out there. And it has since become quite a big discussion over there. So I will refer you to my blog at don'tletitgo.com if you are either not the live participating type or if you're listening to this on the recorded podcast, you can go over there and see how the discussion is going. Um, We have one person, Michael, who is heavily on the open borders, do not have any sort of screening 
end of the debate. And then on the other end of the debate is actually the idea that we should either close the border completely or that we should seal the border and allow quotas from certain countries where they have a culture of freedom and rule of law. So do it on a country by country basis, uh, very limited immigration from other countries. So, you know, culture of freedom and rule of law, fairly open immigration, but very limited from other countries. How exactly we would define this objectively, it would be interesting to see. Um, now, Stuart in the chat room here says, he says, when they see me tweet for open immigration, conservatarian strangers send me very disapproving tweets. Hmm. So what you may want to do, Stuart, is call up and tell me about open immigration. But let's go ahead and first, let's go through Trump's policy here, because I think a lot of us could agree that there are some things that are wrong with Trump's policy. First is the way in which he frames it. He puts it in terms of the needs of the working people, needs versus legitimate interests. And then, of course, to refer to the working people versus just Americans as such. When we're framing an immigration policy, it should be not for the, quote, needs of one specific subgroup. It is uh, you know, according to the legitimate interests of Americans as such, you're not going to, you know, promote it morally any other way. Uh, then he's got a series of, uh, you know, three principles A nation without borders is not a nation. And this is something that we should actually think about, you know, what, what is a nation? Uh, I do know that Rand was not into any sort of, you know, one world government, the, that we definitely do need to maintain different nations. And if we don't have any borders and any sort of check at all at a border, is there any meaning to having a separate nation? This is something that we could think about. Uh, second, he says a nation without laws is not a nation. So that if we do have laws on the books about immigration or other things, that we should actually enforce those uh, as long as these are constitutional laws, of course. And also a nation that does not serve its own citizens is not a nation, he says. But then he says, any immigration plan must improve jobs, wages, and security for all Americans. And I would say that the only legitimate concern of those three is security. It is not the government's job, even through an immigration plan, to, quote, improve jobs and wages and I don't think that's the concern of people here in the chat room, improving jobs and wages, at least not directly. And he has the idea that he's going to improve these things directly in the sense of removing competition for jobs. And then he has this idea of making Mexico pay for a wall, a whole wall along the southern border. And he's talking quite legitimately about the costs of immigration from Mexico, or at least through Mexico, Mexico from other Latin American countries, and that U.S. taxpayers have had to pick up the costs to the tunes of hundreds of billions of dollars in healthcare, housing, education, welfare, and then talk about this, free tax credits to illegal immigrants. This is quadrupled in 2011 to $4.2 billion dollars says the effects on job seekers have also been disastrous. And then he says, and black Americans have been particularly harmed, which is pandering. 
populist. Uh, there is a legitimate concern. He says the impact in terms of crime has been tragic. And he gives anecdotes and some statistics as well. Uh, he talks about the fact that some people came here from Mexico or other countries and they will work here and then send money back to their families in Mexico to the tune of $22 billion in 2013. Uh, if these immigrants are here legally, the fact that they work and then earn money and then send it back to their families, I don't think he has any business talking about that. Um, but it's very interesting. He says, Mexico has got to pay for the wall in order to make up for all the costs to us. And he says, until they do, what will the United States do in order to make them pay for this wall? Impound all of those remittance payments. So imagine you're here, you're working to support your family back home and you're sending money back home. And all of that is going to be impounded because your government back in Mexico will not do what Donald Trump wants them to do. All that money gone. Uh, increased fees on temporary visas issued to Mexican CEOs and diplomats. Fees on all the border crossing cards. We issue about 1 million of these to Mexican nationals. Of course, there's visa overstays there. All the fee on NAFTA worker visas from Mexico and et cetera. So basically, he says, we're not going to be taking advantage of anymore. We're going to make them pay for these for this wall. Otherwise, all of these consequences are going to happen. Um, then the idea is to return American people to the safety of their laws by defending the laws and constitution of the United States. First, triple the number of ICE officers. Apparently, there's only 5,000 ICE officers that are supposed to handle all the states, whereas in LAPD, there's about 10,000 officers just for one city. So it does seem like maybe there are too few, especially given the problems that we have right now. Maybe it would be a temporary increase. But how would you do this? You would eliminate tax credit payments to illegal immigrants. Of course, that should be done anyway. Whether you then would need all of these ICE officers, once you get rid of some of the goodies that we're giving out, I don't know that that even would be necessary. Nationwide E-Verify, because, because protect, protect jobs, I would say that's dubious. I would say it's dangerous. A nationwide E-Verify is just another way for the government to institute a surveillance state on everyone. And I'm pretty sensitive to that. So I don't know that I would like that myself. Uh, mandatory return of all criminal aliens. This should be easy. And now, again, what type of crimes are we talking about? You know, if you're talking about a minor drug possession, but any sort of a violent crime. And I've heard a little clip of Senator Ted Cruz questioning representatives from the Obama administration's, uh, you know, immigration uh, authorities. And they have released 76,000 aliens from custody who had criminal convictions since 2013. And what Cruz was trying to get at was how many of these were convicted of substantial crimes such that they should have never been released. So uh, Trump, I think, wins some points there by saying that they have to be returned to their home countries and you cancel any of the visas, et cetera, if they don't accept their own criminals. So you're going to make them take their criminals back by putting pressure on them in other ways. We will detain illegal aliens if they're crossing the border. Um, they're either going to be sent home or 
potentially allowed to say here, no more catch and release, you know, just let them go and see what happens. Uh, defund the sanctuary cities. If they don't cut off, excuse me, if they don't cooperate with federal law enforcement, we're going to cut off federal grants to them. Enhance penalties for overstaying a visa. There are many people who come here on a visa, you know, a legitimate visa originally, and then they just overstay. That's how they wind up having an illegal status. So you just increase the penalties for that. Cooperate with local gang task forces. So whenever they're going through gangs like uh, MS-13, the 8th Street, 18th Street Gang, whenever the local police departments are going after these gangs, you send some ICE officers along with them. All illegal aliens in gangs should be apprehended and deported. Now that seems like just a basic thing that any person who cares about our well-being would do, but I guess that's not happening. Uh, end birthright citizenship. Right now, they say by two, a two-to-one margin, voters in our country, I guess this is out of opinion polls, say that it is wrong to grant citizenship simply because somebody is born here. Um, you've got to look at the citizenship of the parents and the status of the parents as they're here in the United States. The mere fact that they had a kid here uh, itself is not going to help citizenship. Put American workers first is the, the last section of this. And it says decades of disastrous trade deals and immigration policies have destroyed our middle class. And he gives all sorts of statistics about unemployment, et cetera, and how the influx of foreign workers holds down salaries and everything else. Um, really, this is not what we need to be doing. It's not that we have to keep people out in order to protect Americans from competition. I think that there would be plenty of jobs, and I know that many people listening probably agree with me, if we could get rid of all of the regulations directly on industry and business itself. But in addition, if we could get rid of all of the financial regulations and the constraints out there, Ed, Ed in the chat room is going to say, I certainly could. You could, you could argue that um, we shouldn't let people go ahead and compete for jobs here if we aren't giving them any freebies at all you can you, again feel free to call in if you want to ed you can we can talk 760-888-5817 if we're gonna have the uh what did you call it the ufc match of the century a requirement to hire american workers first so a sort of affirmative action for americans um talking about things like for instance there's an h1b program and the right now the H-1B visas are visas that are issued for the lowest allowable wage level under that program. And so you just kind of basically put a price floor on the wages of people that you would bring in on these visas in order to encourage, in scare quotes, Silicon Valley companies, for example, to hire people from United States, Americans, for these entry-level tech jobs. Um, I mean, apparently here, according to Trump's plan, we graduate two times more Americans with STEM degrees each year than find STEM jobs. Why, though, is it that 
you know, everything in our industry, for example, that people here don't want to take the lower paying jobs that some of the foreigners are taking, in part because they can't live on it, because the cost of everything has been increased here by all of the regulations. So our market is not a free market. And I think it creates these distortions whereas, you know, people who come in from other countries are willing to take the lower paying jobs, even in STEM, right? Um, so the requirement to hire Americans first. And then he has a, a little bullet point, end welfare abuse. And I would just like to stop it right there and just say end welfare. Why not just get rid of welfare entirely, forget the abuse thing, and then you wouldn't have a, you know any worries about a magnet. It is very difficult, and I think some people on the blog had commented about this. It is very difficult to say, well, we're just going to make sure that only immigrants don't get welfare because what happens? They go before the Supreme Court and they say, well, I'm a person too, and this is, you know, not equal protection of the laws or whatever. I'm I'm a person, et cetera. How dare you keep me away from the welfare that you're giving your own citizens? And then it's over. And in fact, apparently Obama uh, reneged on some of the progress that had been made in terms of ending welfare abuse. He just gets out his pen and phone and says, okay, Go ahead and abuse welfare programs again. A job program for inner city youth instead of a J-1 visa jobs program for foreign youth. You just say, okay, companies, you guys who are participating in that program, we're going to give you a resume bank of resumes from inner city youth. That's what you get instead. A refugee program for American children, uh, what you do is you increase standards for the admission of refugees and asylum seekers, and you use the money saved on that to place American children who don't have parents in safer homes and communities and improve community safety in high crime neighborhoods. So you're going to take the money you're spending on one thing and use it to improve something else. And then immigration moderation. No new green cards issued to foreigners. You're going to have a pause where employers will have to hire help from domestic pool of unemployed immigrant and native workers. So we want to reverse women's workplace participation rate, grow wages, etc. Um, do you think a quantitative way is the way to go with this? Or would you rather do something more qualitative like what Ed had uh proposed in the comments at my blog where he says if they come from certain countries that will have very high quotas i don't know about unlimited but very high quotas and otherwise you would say we're not going to you know stop immigration entirely but he wants to stop it entirely now the thing i don't see in here is the thing i was hearing about on the news which is that he wants to deport everybody first i don't know that i see him deporting everybody in everything that I've just read. I've just went with you through the entire plan that he has, that one that he's published, that is the greatest political document. Um, you know, one thing here, he's, remember he does like single payer and he actually wants to, uh, quote, improve Obamacare. He thinks he's gonna be able to do it in some way that resembles business, but I think he's going to end up creating more of a magnet for people wanting to sneak in and get into part of our single payer program that he thinks would be a good idea. But um, I mean, to me, it's, it is pandering to the populist notion. It's not based on 
itself the legitimate concerns. There is one nod, actually, and I, you know, I, I actually skipped over it because it is so brief. Let me go back to it. Uh, one nod to the issue of terrorist immigration. He says, and it's just one small paragraph. He says, uh, we need to stop giving legal immigrant visas to people bent on causing us harm. He says, from the 9-11 hijackers to the Boston bombers and many others, our immigration system is being used to attack us. He says, the president of the Immigration Caseworkers Union declared in a statement on ISIS, quote, we've become the visa clearing house for the world, end quote. Now, that's fine and good. I think that all of that is a good start, but he doesn't say specifically what he's going to do to stop giving those visas to those people. How are you going to kind of filter them out? Is it just that you're going to stop giving visas to everybody anyway? Um, Now, a lot of people are here commenting in the chat room. Uh, Fiona says, Australia has charged for obtaining visas for a long time now. What they charge for real immigration is thousands of dollars. Yeah. Uh, Ed says, Ilian Gonzalez was a legal American resident who was unjustly returned to a dictatorship against his will. Yeah, no, that's true. This is this is not at all. It, you know, somebody brought that in as an argument point. Only they wanted to have you have the picture in your mind of Ilian Gonzalez being ripped out of the arms of his family friend. I think it was not um, a family member, but it was... Um, Oh, I can't remember his name, but one of the family friends who was holding him in that closet. And then you see the um, uniformed military uh, pulling Gonzalez out of the arms forcibly. That's a horrible picture. We, you know, those of us who were around then, we still have that in our minds. And what commentators on, on the network news have been wanting you to think of is, you know, sending all of these people home, deporting them, that it's going to be that sort of picture, you know, that you're like ripping little kids out and deporting them forcibly, et cetera. Yeah, it was, it was Dalrymple, says Stuart here in the chat room. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Yeah, a lot of other countries actually do charge you to go there. Now, let's see. So, I've got Stuart in the chat room here, who I guess is on the open borders side. And then we have Ed, who is certainly not on the open border side. He is on the we need to screen and or potentially at this point right now, keep out most everyone. Um, uh, We could we could have a UFC match of some kind (laughs) between the two of you. But in terms of observations about how the debate is going over at the blog, there's a couple things that people bring in. And I think it, it's not the situation that we want to be thinking about. One is you talk about traveling from state to state within United States. So you go from Florida to Georgia or whatever, you know, is the example that one reader gives. And it's not like you have any problems going from one state to the other. Sometimes if you go from Nevada to California, for example, they will stop you for purposes of agriculture to make sure that you're not bringing the wrong plant germs or whatever across the uh, the state border. So it's not completely open. Um, but, you know, the thing with states within United States is that 
all of us pretty much have a common legal heritage. We all have a way that we, you know, basically handle criminals and everything. So anybody who's kind of out and free for the most part is somebody who is probably not that bad. Although occasionally you've got, you know, escape convicts like you had in New York and things like that. But, you know, as they're going from state to state, we can be assured that probably if they're bad guys, somebody's been looking for them or, you know, that at least in general, there's a police force that's handling them uniformly. Not so when people are coming up through Mexico to here. In fact, the Mexican government has not been doing its job. So the idea that we should use how you go from one state to another within the United States as a model of how we should allow people to come in from Mexico, uh, you, you don't have the same context, the same situation. Um, and uh, Fiona says it's the same with Australia, the federal law and the state law, right? Um, yeah, complete. Uh, John in the chat room says complete open borders seems completely insane. Now, the other thing that I don't think you can make a comparison to, and and I hope I'm not giving spoilers to anybody in the chat room. I think most people who are tuning into this show are, are more interested uh, from an objectivist perspective in immigration. I don't think we could talk about Galt's Gulch as giving you some evidence of what should happen here, because the situation there is you've got a very small, close-knit, voluntary community without even a real government, so to speak. You know, it's it's um, you know, it's it's almost like a handshake contract that's that's going on there. Everyone has to take an oath and stuff, but it's 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 a private association more than it would be a government. And I don't think you could compare it to any kind of a nation state. Um, but what is interesting is. The, there's one person, like I said, at the, at the blog, Michael, who is vehemently pushing the full open borders. And, and the idea is, is that when somebody shows up at the border, unless you have probable cause, particularized suspicion about that particular person, then you're supposed to just let them come in and, hey, see what they do. Deuce is wild. Now, when you start to think about this, right, because people are talking about, well, uh, it's uh, United States has got private property and so therefore, and then he says, well, where's the private property? But let's think about it in a proper society, in a proper society, almost all property would be privately owned. So that property along a border, most of it would be privately owned. So when someone's coming across, they're going to come on to what some sort of a privately owned road or something. And, we can say, okay, we, we have the police helping us decide who can come in and off that road. But I mean, almost everything would be privately owned and we would want our government to protect our private property as appropriate, right? So I, I don't see that every time someone's coming across a border anywhere that they're automatically coming on to some sort of public land and I mean, if even if they come into a place that there's some kind of small zone that is owned by government in order to facilitate what needs to get done at a border, they're very quickly going to be coming on to private property. So what you're just you just say, OK, well, you've got all this private property and then just let the person come through and trespass or something. It seems like there should be something there. Um, 
that you should you should definitely uh, stop them in some way and and screen them. I don't I don't see that you're going to have like a whole vast you know kind of state facility for everybody and just say oh come on in and and we don't care. Um, the other thing the other example that I try to put out there it's not quite this bad with Mexico not even close but imagine. A hypothetical. Excuse me, I'm a philosopher, so I'm going to give you an outrageous hypothetical. But there's United States, and then it shares a border with one other country, and that other country, we'll just call it country B, they are a country full of cannibals. Or actually, no, let's let's make it different, right? Because we wanted, he, he was going to say you have to have probable cause. Okay, so let's say the country has 40% cannibals. I could say 50% if I want to push it, right? Because what do you need for probable cause? You need 51%. So it's something around between 40 to 50% cannibals. So of any person who's coming across the border from country B, you could say about that person, there's a 40 to 50% chance that person is a cannibal. Then what do you do? You just say, no, got to let them in, don't have probable cause. It's an interesting question, um, but let me see. I think I've got Ed here, so we're gonna. Are we gonna start our uh, our match? We'll see. Is this Ed? It is indeed. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Should I see if I have Stuart on the other line? If you want, it's your show. Uh, we we could we could see how this goes, and we'll I'll try to see if we can moderate here. Is this Stuart? No, this is not Stuart. Is this Harold? This is Harold. I have some things on immigration to talk about and from personal experience and I also want to talk about Supreme Court attitude on that. Um, but, uh, I can call back in if you're busy on something else right now. Well, I, let me let me go ahead and talk to Ed because I thought we were going to have the uh, the debate between Ed and Stuart for a minute, but let me go ahead and grab Ed and then we'll get back to you. Okay. I may, in, I may indeed have... Um, Stuart here on another line. I think I see an area code that looks familiar. Is this Stuart? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, I thought I recognized that area code. Um, so now I have both Ed and Stuart live, and you guys are in completely thousands of miles away, so you can't hurt each other. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't want to hurt Stuart anyway. No, I know. But I mean, people, you know, I at my blog, people have gotten really, really emotionally out of control out of this, I must say. And um, when, first of all, I think, I think people have misrepresented my own position because my own position is that there should be screening, but that the screening should be based on actions that the person has taken in their life insofar of course as you can determine that and that's one thing that's come out in the discussion over at the blog but the idea is that you you couldn't give an ideological test to somebody because you can't read their minds they could just lie if you gave them some sort of written test so anything that you're going to screen them on is going to have to be based on actions that they've done in the past. Um, but I, I'm certainly for screening uh, in terms of diseases and criminality and any association with, or actually, you know, I said association with a group that wants to either initiate force 
in absence of any sort of, you know, force from somebody else. So they actually want to initiate force. They don't want to use force and self-defense. And that would include, of course, any group that is advocating violent overthrow of a rights-respecting government like ours or any of the the better, you know, Western-style governments throughout the world. So if they're a member of that, of course, they don't have to just be a member of the group. They could be a complete and total innovator and they could, you know, uh, they could be solipsist as far as I'm concerned. I don't care. But if, you know, if they themselves are either advocating or taking steps along the lines of initiating force against others as something that they are promoting and advocating, no, this is, this is not good either. But you would, I'm, I'm trying to go based on their actions. Do you see what I mean? Not, not based on whatever ideas you think that they hold. Um, but here's a question for you, Ed. Um, so now, by the way, Ed Ed Maslisch, who posted the original blog post, mm-hmm. had that sort of ha- had this idea of um, sort of intellectual um, test to see whether you agree with uh, it, our ideological I- ideologically compatible. We've talked offline. Um, I don't think he's necessarily a hundred percent, you know, wedded to this I- idea, and so I don't think we should take we should take that as a hundred percent his position. He was he was suggesting something, um, right? Just as I was, uh, just as I was suggesting a few things, um, and I'll you know. Well, you you definitely had a, a much more you had a much more fleshed out idea than even I did. But I mean, let me let me back up a little and just say that my my general approach is that even though this is government acting in a realm that Ayn Rand didn't necessarily fully spell out. I'm on the premise of if a government is going to act, it's going to act according to objective law and it's going to treat individuals according to ways that they've acted, not according to ideas that they hold in their head. Um, and and yeah, so I mean, the, I, I, I certainly, right, I, I, I Go certainly ahead. get that. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm totally against the idea of screening that You've presented. I have my own idea of screening, by the way, um, which it will act, would actually work. Um, but the idea that the government can screen people is preposterous. Uh, the government is completely incompetent at doing pretty much everything, and the fact the the idea that they can screen uh, people from you know the Belgian Congo or you know uh, Zambia uh, is 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 ridiculous. Um, so that's not ever going to happen, and so we can't. Uh, it just Put it off to the side because that's that's an impossible fantasy. My idea uh, for screening, at least for people from third world countries, uh, as you noted earlier, I'm not partic- I don't particularly care about unlimited inter- immigration from Ireland or Canada or the United Kingdom or you know Australia or whatever. So, so you wouldn't you wouldn't put any constraints at all on any of the people coming from those countries. Um, well, they have, uh, you know, electronic uh, law enforcement records, and they they do partner with the United States. So we certainly could do what we do today: is is you know run their passport and and see if they are wanted criminals or whatnot. I'm I'm certainly not against that. That you could do that at point of entry. Um, you you certainly could do that for Australians at point of entry. You you can't do it for uh, people from um, you know Burkina Faso or Pakistan. I mean, because there are no records. 
So, I mean, I, right. you know, I, I do, I, I, one of the things that I do say, now this is independent of whether we should have any borders at all, right? We can talk about that later, but, um, but if we have borders, we certainly can do electronic point of entry screening for people from, from first world countries. But from third world countries, my idea is to get the government out of the screening business and say, you know, okay, Mark Zuckerberg, if you want to hire this person from Burkina Faso, you do the background check, you ensure that he's a good person, you bring him over at your expense, and uh, you post a bond or, you know, have an insurance policy if you're big enough or, you know, some sort of accept liability in case he uh, commits a crime uh, over the first, you know, however many years, five years, I don't know, three years, five years, something like that, just, just to show that he's an honest guy. And uh, if he commits a murder, or a rape or a child rape, which is very, very popular among third worlders, um, then uh, Mark Zuckerberg, you get to pay for uh, all of the legal expenses, all of the incarceration expenses, all of the um, prosecution expenses, detention expenses. You get to pay for all of that for this person that you signed this document saying you would, you would take responsibility for, and uh, maybe, you know, maybe a fine too or whatever. And there would be actual screening going on uh, because these companies do not want to hit, uh, get hit by this. Uh, the other thing is screening today is done by solely by the executive branch. And as I mentioned in my post, um, the ideological compatibility uh, screening idea that Ed Maslisch has, uh, mm -hmm. has put in his post is, is in fact, official government policy of the United States. Our foreign hmm. officers are supposed to screen people exactly that way. And they don't. And Obama has told them not to. And, and, Interesting. and so if it's an all executive branch thing, there's nothing you can do. But if you get a bond or an insurance policy or some sort of a, a surety guarantee by the prospective employer, um, then it goes to the much less corrupt uh, incorruptible judicial branch to decide whether to, you know, charge the company or the bond or whatnot. And I guarantee okay. you, uh, this sort of system would would actually allow screening of individuals, um, and you know, potentially their immediate families. You know, guys coming over, he brings his wife, or vice versa, kids and whatnot. You know, they could be screened, but they would also have to have the bond. Um, and that's the only way I think. I mean, somebody could call up and say, oh, no, Ed, that's crazy. That will never work. And I'd be perfectly willing to talk to them. But the idea that the executive branch is going to screen uh, is, is ludicrous because, A, they don't. And, B, most of our immigrants uh, aren't screened in foreign countries. They're screened at the point of entry. And they're just basically let in because it's just an overwhelming number. Um, Right. That was the but but if they if they're coming if they're coming from, you know, Western European countries and similar, then they have governments such that if you scan their passport, your it's some sort of record is typically going to be brought up. But I think I've heard that there's been flaws in that system as well. Well, there's flaws in any system, but there's the difference between, wow, this system only works ninety five percent of the time, and then there's these flaws. What do we do? And then mm -hmm. uh, the other way is, oh, no, this system can't possibly work at all ever under any circumstances. And having the executive branch screen is in the latter category, not the former. 
I'm trying to get okay. into the former category. Now, I, mean, uh, I, 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 I basically say, I uh, put the post, uh, you know, you, you ought to evaluate countries by the way their citizens act. And let's be honest. I mean, why would we have immigration restrictions at all with Canada? I mean, they're the nicest people in the world. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. We should, any, any Canadians want to come to America, come on down. But it's different for third world countries. They are not freedom oriented people. They don't have the freedom philosophy in their background. They don't have the individual rights philosophy in their culture. Their culture is inimical to American freedom. And if you bring them in at one. Okay. Okay. But then, then, then we start getting, then we start getting, if if we're doing it just based on culture versus we're doing it because there's, there's a proxy for the cultural element that you're, um, you know, starting to get into now. And it's a proxy that is one that I think our government could legitimately act on, which is to say they don't have the criminal law system and the record keeping and everything else. So if you right, you see what I mean? So if, if you're saying, well, um, you know, these countries, United Kingdom, Ireland, Canada, Korea, et cetera, those countries, we can just scan a passport and be reasonably sure that you know, as long as this person is clear according to their home country, then they're fine uh, for us as well. But there's these other countries where, you know, the record keeping in the criminal justice system is not uh, doing anything at all to, you know, weed out the good people from the bad people. And so there, that's when we have to have the bonds and stuff. And that just happens to coincide with the people who have the culture that you're worried about. Is that right? It's not entirely coinciding, but it, it pretty, you know, to a certain extent, there's overlap, obviously. I mean, there are countries that have computerized uh, law enforcement records. Russia is one of them, but I, I wouldn't trust the Russians as far as I could throw them. No, no. And, and of course, stuff. I would say our intelligence agencies could give you objective reasons why you shouldn't trust it, right? Well, clearly, you haven't worked with any of our intelligence agencies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> again, executive branch stuff, not going to work. Because the first guy who comes in like Obama is going to just ignore every rule. So it has to be set down in law. It has to be a matter of law. And it has to be adjudicated by, by judges. And um, that is very time-consuming time and expensive. And so I would just have the I, – I, I would err on the side of caution and just say, okay, you know, Canadians, you're awesome. You know, Australians, terrific people. But yeah, you could couldn't you have couldn't you have legislative committees that do all sorts of research on, you know, again, what the state on the ground is in these different countries and they could update it every year or whatever it is. Um, Maybe for a while it looked like Russia was going to get better, but oops, now it's just as corrupt as ever. Right. So, yeah. um, Obviously, you know, uh, what people um, have complained about on, on the post, and which is absolutely true, is that uh, there is potential for injustice here um, in the sense of, uh, I just met an Iranian woman the other day. Couldn't mm-hmm. possibly be a nicer woman. Great job. She works in a bank, uh, my banker, actually, and uh, she is a great person. She's obviously extremely American. Um, she's probably born in the United States, to be honest, uh, but her parents came from Iran after the, uh, the Shah was overthrown. Somebody mm-hmm. mentioned Ilian, Ilian Gonzalez. There are obviously exceptions 
that one has to make for this crazy rule, uh, for you know, for this for this rule in times of emergency. We're not going to want to um, tell the Jews in 1938 uh, Germany that I'm sorry you've got to wait in line, or I'm sorry you've got to get a sponsor, or some something like that. It's an emergency. But, uh, apparently, we did. We t- we turned away. We turned away tons and tons of Jews. Uh, we, yes, we did. In fact, we turned away much more of them after the war uh, than we did before. Both Roosevelt and Truman were uh, vile mm-hmm. anti-Semites. Um, but that yeah. I, I'm talking about what we ought to have done, not what we actually right. did. So, right. uh, I, the problem is wh- when you talk about refugees, that's the refugee situation um, where it's obviously the case that, you know, yes, we're going to let Einstein in, right? I mean, that we're going to do that. That's one of the things we should do. Of course, Einstein could get a job, but you know we're going to we're going to help the Jews from Germany. But the problem is that type of law has already been perverted by Obama, and he's allowed, for example, 100,000 Somalian refugees to come into Minneapolis, kind of arbitrarily with no checks or balances. And, and when you're a refugee, there are no background checks. But they just right. let them in. Right, right. And 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 one of and one of the concerns with this, of course, is that it is a huge burden on law enforcement. Just statistically speaking, if you bring in that many from that culture, then you're going to have a certain burden in terms of law enforcement that is going to break our system, so to speak. Now, all this time we've been talking, Ed, I've got Stuart here. Um, okay. waiting, and and I was gonna let, let's go ahead and let him react a bit because Stuart. Tell me, are you, you are completely open border where you would say people should just be able to walk in without any screening, no matter where they're from? Well, when I stand for open immigration, I do allow, I think, that there should be screening for whether they have a past criminal record, and I mean, you know, actual violence. Now, now, other other than um, other than actual violence, what about belonging to, for example, a jihadist group who has, you know, kind of a a group manifesto or whatever that says we want to, if you know, use violence to help institute Sharia around the world? What if the person was an active supporting member, didn't actually do the violent act himself yet, but has been out there? actively supporting that group, a member, or propagating the literature? No, that's prob- there's probable cause to believe, you know, being a member, joining, consciously joining a terrorist group, you know, is probable cause of someone actually going to initiate the use of force. You know, it's like, it's like Charles Manson planning a murder, even though he's not the one who does the dirty work. So right. I do count joining a terrorist group as an initiation of the use of force. Some sort of and conspiracy. Also, yeah. Yes. And also, I think there is, should be screening for, um, you know, pathogens, such as mm-hmm. Ebola. But even in this case, I think if you have a completely free, privatized society, I think there, there might be a way to say, okay, even in this case, the government doesn't have to have a command control stipulation that anyone with a disease is blocked from the country. I think private parties can actually handle that as well. You mean in terms of getting the person the proper treatment and all those kinds of things? Yes. Now, um, this is kind of what we talk about doing for an ideal 
world. So you would do some very rudimentary screening. What about the people who say that any screening at all is a violation of rights unless you have probable cause about that person? You can't even screen for a criminal background check. Well, I'm very tentative about that because I think, um, unlike uh, Ed, actually, the thing is, I don't want the United States to give preference to people from first world countries like Canada trying to move to the United States. I think it should not give preference to anybody. It should only discriminate insofar as people are from very um, illiberal countries, such as Persia, Iran. And even in those cases, I think there's too much of a presumption of guilt. We see... Mm -hmm. um, so, basically... So, so I am... So I am sympathetic to the idea that currently the system is uh, too presumptuous of guilt towards uh, migrants trying to come to the United States, and I wouldn't necessarily be as stringent about it as Ed. I think okay. the burden of proof still should be on the federal government to prove guilt rather than the burden of proof be on the foreigner to prove that he's squeaky clean. Now, what what about what he said about if people come from certain countries and there are just no records at all? Do you like the idea that he has about having a bond of some kind uh, held? And actually, my idea, and I'll go back to Ed and ask him what he thinks about this, is it doesn't necessarily have to be a bond that's put up by an employer. Suppose you are wealthy enough to post your own bond of a certain way and say, hey, I don't have an employer yet, but here I'm posting this bond and um, then I'm going to come here and get a job and, you know, be a contributing member of society. Does something like that sound like a good alternative if there's not the ability to do a criminal background check that would mean anything? Well, it seems to me that if Ed's policy were implemented, Ayn Rand would never have been e able to come to the United States. I mean, mm -hmm. the way I see it, a lot of people from these very poor countries and not just explicitly communist ones, but kleptocracies like Zimbabwe, like Mexico. You know, they're not as severe as Cuba, but they are unfree. They're kleptocracies where, you know, the government won't protect your private property unless you bribe them. So when I think people are trying to come from the poor countries to the United States, they are seeking freedom. They are trying to run away from a type of slavery. And, and, a, and, it's, and there's, a, there's an iron curtain between the United States and all these poor countries in terms of communication. I mean, how is, the, you know, how is it that people in the third world are going to be able to first, while still in the third world, petition these employers in the United States? How can they petition them and say, okay, could you please um, vouch for me, and say, I'm, you know, say I'm a good guy so I can come to the United States um, legally? Usually what happens first is that these people have to enter the United States first. They have to come onto U.S. soil first before they have access to employers in the United States. And I, I think that's what happened to Ayn Rand. I mean, did Ayn Rand... Now, she, she came on some sort, of a, some sort of a visiting visa where she was visiting family and stuff, and then I guess was able to figure out how to extend the stay and get employed and, you know, gradually get legal status. But she started as a visitor. So then the question would be, can, you know, someone first get established here and then bring over visitors whom they sponsor and they sponsor and so on, right? But you see, this 
thing is, it's not the case that she got Cecil B. DeMille while she was still in Russia. She wrote to Cecil B. DeMille. No, no. For her. She, she, she was, was lucky enough to have family here. But she had to come to the United States first and get her foot in the door before she had, asked, she had any access to any potential employers. Right. So what you might have is, for instance, certain charitable organizations that might agree to go over and find some people who want to escape and bring them here, sponsor them, right? Have those people work and get established here and then have those people as sort of, you know, giving back, which they really would be giving back, uh, maybe sponsor some more people from their country and, and et cetera. I could imagine ways that this would happen. Um, it, it is the case, though, I mean, even even if a policy that we end up thinking is, is, is the right policy is one that would have made it really hard for Ayn Rand to get here, I don't know if that necessarily makes it the wrong policy, but it is obviously something we would want to, to think about and say, okay, we would want someone like Ayn Rand to be able to get here. I actually think Ayn Rand would be able to get here on the type of system that we're talking about. Um, you know, it would, it would depend what's how steep the thing is that uh you know that ed has in mind um it it could be also that in, at the time that rand was coming here uh from soviet russia that it, we would have deemed it more of an, a time of emergency where there were a lot of really good people who were desperate to get out and people that would make very good contributing members to our society like rand of course so um actually why don't we go over and let's ask ed how he would handle it <laughs> And how would you handle it? How, how would I handle what exactly? The, the the case of Ayn Rand, right? She comes and she doesn't necessarily have, she doesn't have an employer, certainly, when she's, and she's yeah, just coming I mean, here on a visit. Rand, you know, this is, um, this is a sort of a logical fallacy. I mean, it, you know, if, if you're trying to drive me into, well, there should be no borders at all, that's kind of the slippery slope that we're on. Um, I certainly appreciate that extreme outliers have gotten into the United States, uh, uh, Ayn Rand, Albert Einstein, uh, but I'm, you know, not so keen on the millions, tens of millions of uh, not so outliers who have also uh, come in and, the, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that it's, uh, it, it makes sense to make uh, the government I, I, has not the capacity to make individual judgments. The government's perfectly capable of saying Canada, yeah, Canada's okay, we'll let them in. But the, uh, but the government's not able to make individual judgments. So for Ayn Rand, if she could have had her family talk someone into sponsoring her or, or sponsoring her for a job, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be that big of a job. And uh, you know, insurance companies would set the bot the the. The rates, right? I mean, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring someone in from Russia, you're gonna go to you know, Nationwide Insurance and say, okay, look, I gotta I gotta insure this person, uh, you know, criminal liability insurance or whatever it would be. Uh, what right. do I pay? And if if Nationwide says, you know, it costs you fifteen hundred dollars to bring in this Rand uh, person, I mean, let's be honest, most criminals are men. So, I mean, it would be, you know, if we were, if a free country, we'd be allowed to say, oh, yeah, Rand, she's a woman, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, like 35 bucks. But if it's, you know, some guy from Russia, maybe it'd be 1,500 bucks. I mean, they, it, the insurance companies would figure that out based on the claims that they would have paid for the damages that people have done. I mean, they have smart 
statisticians to figure that out. And right. I think Ayn Rand would have been perfectly capable of coming to the United States under the system I'm proposing. Um, and and people just, people could still come here on. Um, I was going to say people could still come here on a, a visitor's type of visa, and while here, go around and try to secure employment and things like that. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not terribly keen on again that you know I, I'm perfectly capable of saying yeah yeah you want to come uh, on vacation in the United States if you're from one of these countries perfect if not. You got to get the bond, and if nothing happens, maybe some of your money be refunded, or maybe if it's an insurance policy or whatever. Right. I'm, you know, if you're from Burkina Security Faso, security deposit, to so to speak. Yeah. If you if you're from Burkina Faso and you want to go to Disneyland, knock yourself out. Here's a form to fill out to apply for insurance. Here's like five of them from five different companies. You know, um, I, I don't care. Honestly, I, I honestly don't care if someone from Burkina Faso does not get to go to Disneyland. Okay. Okay. So what do you say to that, Stuart? No, I think the assumption is that people in these third world countries, I mean, if we go by Ed's uh, premises, that the idea is that rights do come in conflict. Because in my, if I'm a Haitian, I mean, because here's, here's the problem with the present immigration system. There's a cap. There's a quota capping the number of visas legally issued to every country each year. Mm -hmm. You know, and we have all sorts of licensing laws. Like, you know, you have to have a license to be a plumber. You have a license, have to have a license to open a business, and that's already too restrictive. But at least they don't have a quota capping the number of such licenses issued every year. But we do have that quota in the case of um, Mexico and the Carnegie Institute put out a report showing that it takes an average 6 to 17 years of waiting to get a visa to come to the United States legally. And I noticed that many people who rightly object to how socialized medicine makes you wait months, you know, to get an urgent doctor's appointment, those, a lot of those people are totally, you know, they say it sounds okay with the fact that people in Canada and these other countries with socialized medicine are resorting to the black market to get needed health care. They even had black market uh, clinics operating rather openly in Canada as people look the other right. way. And, and you're say, you're saying similarly, you know, you don't you don't blame people when they are coming here illegally given the way that the system is. In fact, I was speaking to one student today, I had a seminar earlier today, and the I was asking the you know all the class about the fact that if someone is here illegally, does that alone mean anything about a penalty should be, you know, visited upon them, should they be deported, whatever it is. And I had one student who said, not only should there be no penalty, that that person should be given a high five for, you know, making it through the system and coming and asserting their interest. That's how, you know, much respect. But at this, at the same time, um, so, so you would say that obviously our current system goes beyond what is needed to you know, protect us. But at the same time, there's so much, quote, black market immigration in the sense of illegal immigration that that undoes, right? See, see, often people point to all these unseemly things going on with people illegally entering, entering the country. You know, they pay thousands of dollars to these smugglers to smuggle both people and drugs. You know, it's dangerous. But all of that is a consequence of the red tape currently existing. And 
you know, if you want to get if you want to get the drug smugglers out of the business of getting people from Mexico to the United States, it's we then the the what we need is more liberalization, not less. It's just like the cases of you know prostitution and drugs. And right. it worries me when people talk about how when they say, well, President George W. Bush was too lax in border enforcement. You know, we need more government intrusion. See, that worries me because we have too much. And a lot of the government intrusion we currently have is the reason why there's so much problems. So, okay, no, so, so let me, let me, let me press you a little bit. So you would say, yes, you can have screening at the border, but you would have, you know, no quotas and you would try to make it even easier than Ed would, or, you know, Ed was giving us this, this hypothetical of an uh, insurance policy and which sounds very good because it would make it cheaper for people to come. If they could get this insurance policy, they wouldn't have to come up with all of the, you know, total amount of the policy themselves, right? They could just pay the premium. So this, this is kind of sounding a little bit more plausible for people of limited means to be able to get here. Um, I think it's very implausible. You think it's implausible? Yes, because like I said, how are if people in the United States, people from the United States want, want to investigate people in the third in the third world about whether they're, you know, honest, whether they have no criminal record, that information is hard to access exactly because it's the third world. I mean, it's not it's not plausible that you know, J. Edgar Hoover and these other federal people in the federal government would say say, okay, you know, we have lots of Information well, right, but that's that's that's, that's why that's why Ed is Ed's taking it out of the hands of you know executive branch entirely and saying, okay, let's have insurance companies that are going to in effect post bonds for these people that you could buy a policy, um, and and the insurance companies would just price the policies according to the statistical average, I guess, of people in a similar situation coming from that country, and that's how it would go. Um, See, that's, it's, that is red tape. It's simply it's simply contracting out. It's outsourcing the handling of okay. your red tape from the federal so, government to these private insurance companies. So where do you where case. do you where do you draw the line? Like what what about the one hundred thousand Somalis? You just let them all come in then because there's no way to do any checks on them. Well, I I, I might uh, that's a possibility. I might have to say yes because. I'm not actually too worried about whether they take up too much uh, space, you know, ge- geographically, whether they, get, they take up too much land. That's another issue for the market. What about the, where, the where, burden? Where what about the burden on law enforcement and such that apparently is a, a very real thing? Well, if, 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 you look, if you look over my blog, Sonny Lohman talks about witnessing firsthand what happens when you have a massive quantity of migrants from a culture like that that are just brought in Wait. and there is no ability to do the background checks. Well, you see, I, I'm familiar with um, these arguments about how in Europe there are these immigrant ghetto communities, you know, and you know, and, um, you know they, they pretty much do what they want there. It's like their own enclave and police don't enforce the laws there. But I think people are under the assumption that's because the police are understaffed and there's just this huge horde of immigrants that overpower them. But I think the actual problem is actually that the police in Europe just aren't willing 
to use force, you know, physical right. violence to enforce the laws, you know, because I've actually had to report some things I think were crimes to police in Europe about, you know, someone in Europe committing a crime, and the, they're just unresponsive. So I think it's not an issue of the, the um, this immigrant horde is just too strong for them. I think it's that police in these European countries don't have backbone. And if they just had backbone and actually bothered to enforce the same laws, use violence to enforce the same laws against immigrants as they do against native-born people, I think we would see an improvement. So I don't accept the uh, argument am that... Am I still on? May I, uh, yes, I'm you are. You are You are still on, Ed. Go ahead and cut in. Um, yeah, I... The... Uh, Sturt is, is right partially. Uh, I, I don't think the police uh, in Europe... Um, I think there it's all political correctness that's keeping them from um, from going into these uh, no-go zones. But it's also fear, and there's you know there's no amount of law enforcement that can contain um, you know 100,000 Somalians when they're all packed together in a ghetto, um, mainly because there's no way of collecting information. Uh, you, uh, I mean, the way police work is they try and, you know, get to know the, the good people in the community and, and get them to tell uh, them tips on, you know, bad things that are going down, you know, robberies and whatnot. But if you go to these immigrant communities, they, they don't talk to the police. And it's not just that they're afraid of being caught by, um, uh, by uh, immigration. That, that's, I'm, it, potentially some of that, but not at all. In my own neighborhood, I have to go around and collect signatures because I'm on the Homeowners Association board. And, you know, I'm a reasonably unthreatening kind of dude. And uh, I've had over and over again people just not answer the door. I know they're home because I can see them, but they won't, they won't open the door when I knock on their door. They won't mm -hmm. do it. They're, they're afraid. Now, if I were a police officer in a uniform with a gun and a baton and a taser and I go and knock on their door, they're definitely not going to open it up. Um, it's, people don't want to – oh, and these are all, of course, immigrants. You know, all the Americans like, oh, hey, how you doing, Ed? What can I do for you? You know, so all the Americans. Right. So, so you have, you know, what do you have, 3,000 white cops? trying to police 100,000 Somalis, 4,000, 10,000. There's no number that can do it. They can't speak the language. They can't get It's simply impossible. You cannot do it. Um, the idea that the police are these magical beings, they're as brave as, as Superman, and they're as effective as Spider-Man, and they go and they solve crime. They don't do squads. They get traffic tickets. And if something ends up in the papers, they put a little work in. I mean, it, it just doesn't have it. it. It's just not something that, that right. happens. Now, in now in a, in, a, in a proper system, though, we wouldn't be bringing over 100,000 from any place at one time because right now it is our government actually paying for and helping to assist the bringing over of these people, right, Ed? The Somalia example, yes, it is. But the Mexico example, it isn't. And, and here's no. the Guatemalan example is a better example. You know, why do we have so many Guatemalans and El Salvadorans in the United States? Um, right. And I know some of them, some of them work for me. I'm not saying they're all bad people. I'm just saying how they get here. 
Mexico has essentially a wall at their border, but they take these people from Central America and they bust them across Mexico. The Mexican government does that and put them in the north and hook them up with coyotes to take them across uh, the border. When Trump, I mean, I'm not a fan of Trump, obviously, but I mean, when Trump says the Mexican government is doing some bad things to us, he, he is absolutely right. I mean, the reason we have millions of Central Americans is not because they get on planes or boats or overstay their visas when they visit Disneyland. It's because the Mexican government, in order to prevent them from settling in Mexico, right. buses them across Mexico to our northern border, gives them instructions on how to go through the border, what to do when, we, when they get here, all of that written in Spanish so that they can read it assuming they can read, and then uh, sends them on their way. I mean, Mexico is a very bad actor in this situation. And the idea is like, well, who's, uh, well, who's bringing these Guatemalans to America? The Mexican government is. I mean, that's who it is. And, and who knows? The United Nations, of course, we should get out of the United Nations, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, fine. The United Nations would pay for 100,000 Somalis to come to Minneapolis. I'm sure they would. They'd, you know, they'd let's... Indirectly. So, so clearly Mexico has done some, some bad things. And if we were to get them to pay for the wall, maybe even in some of the ways that Trump says, it wouldn't necessarily be a, a, a terrible way to go. But here's the question for, for both of you. Um, what about the issue of people who want to come here? They don't have any intention of themselves being violent um, and they want to get jobs and, you know, come to America and they're, you know, ev everything is checked out, no problem, but they're all going to vote Democrat or they're going to, 80% of them are going to vote for the Democrats. And, um, you know, they could even be Muslims, but they're going to just vote for the things that they want. They're going to do it by vote insofar as our system permits them to. Can you keep them out? Do you want me to answer well, uh, Stuart, I assume, Stuart, you would say no, right? Beg your pardon? You would say no. However they're going to vote, that's basically oh. on our heads that we're letting them vote for that kind of stuff. Yeah? May I, may I quickly address, uh, answer what Ed said about uh, police can't, in, can't enforce law on so many Somalis at one time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Okay. I, I have two responses to that. First of all, in the July 11th, 2014, Reason Magazine, Ronald Bailey points out statistics showing that they're statistically more likely to be violently assaulted by a native-born American than you are by an illegal alien. So I don't buy this argument that illegal aliens are, you know, congenitally more dangerous than native-born Americans. Secondly, well, or they're, or they're major... Why are I was good. Uh, what what you want to do is you want to know you want to know as a percentage of the population how many right not statistically well, I, like I, I, who, who well, is any given you. person. Hmm? I can show it to you. And secondly, I think that uh, Ed's argument about police not being able to cope with something adequately could just as easily be applied to his own proposal. If police can't police that many immigrants, how do we know they're going to be they have you know, enough competency, competency or manpower to police uh, private companies who are supposed to vouch for these people if the private companies are being lax. I mean, what if I have a big agribusiness and I want to import, you know, so many, so many uh, people, Mexicans who work on my big agribusiness, and they cause a lot of trouble 
you know, and I get away with it. How is it that the police can't police, you know, immigrants by themselves, but the police will necessarily be able to police private companies that vouch for immigrants and let immigrants get away with things? I assume that the, I assume the money from the, I assume the money that the companies would put up is going to go partly to pay for police force, right? Yeah, I mean, why, why do we have uh, uh, tax withholding? Why do we have sales tax? Why do we have, uh, why don't we all get a, a, a bill at, you know, on, on, on January 31st for our tax bill to um, uh, be due on April 15th? Because the government knows that nobody will pay if they try to interact with, you know, 105 million or 120 million individual households, it won't work. So they figure out, ah, we'll get the money from the government. Now, I'm not in favor of the sales tax, and I'm not in favor of the uh, income tax. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the companies, the companies want to make a profit. Any hassle with the government over legal matters interferes with that. They will make damn sure that if they're going to bring in 10,000 workers to work on farms in Southern California, which would be perfectly fine with me, uh, they will bring them in uh, and, you know, they will have the, the correct amount of liability insurance or post the correct amount of bonds. And if they can't afford it, then they'll have to hire Americans to do it. Um, it's just, it, it's just that simple. And the companies, the companies don't break the law that often. In fact, every time a company does break the law in some huge fashion, it ends up on the front page of the New York Times. I do want I do want to uh, comment on uh, previous comment though that uh, that uh, the uh, the uh, the crime the crime issue you know do do immigrants cause more crime or less crime mm -hmm. and I want to put it I want to put a plug in for Ann Coulter's book now Ann Coulter is a political humorist and lawyer and her humor tends to be not that funny. Right. Uh, and I certainly don't find her that funny. And of course, uh, you uh, said, you know, this is ridiculous. Uh, the greatest uh, document uh, you were taking her seriously. Of course, she was not being serious. She was being hyperbolic. But even right. that kind of fell flat because it was like, what? What? You know, it wasn't even funny. Ann Coulter is not that funny. However, she's very smart and she's a good lawyer and she's a good researcher. And what she's done in her book, which is called Adios America, which I recommend to everyone who is on either side of the issue or undecided um, and is not a principled thinker. I think you won't get a lot of principles out of her uh, in the book, but right. my goodness, you will be bombarded with facts. Right. And she, she goes through in a very systematic way why the immigrants don't pr commit as many crimes as uh, native born is total hogwash. And the reason, of course, is that the government specifically does not collect immigration statistics on criminals. I, I just so remember watching, I remember watching Cruz trying to get the accurate statistics out of the Obama administration's uh, immigration people. And it was pulling teeth basically for him to get accurate statistics out as far as I could see. So, so again, there is the, the highest murder rate in the world is in the Honduras, uh, which is a like almost at least 10 times higher than the United States, maybe 20 times higher. I forgot the statistics off the top of my head. Why do you believe that when you import 100,000 Hondurans to the United States, they are going to just turn into just the most peaceful people in the world and not commit any crime? I mean, that's, that's crazy. 
I mean, Muslim culture is based on criminality. It's, Islam is a giant crime driver, mainly because the essential aspect of the Islamic religion is putting down women, holding women as property. That's one thing. And the other thing is fighting jihad. Right. Yes, there are peaceful uh, Muslims. My banker, probably only nominally a Muslim. She certainly didn't dress like a Muslim. Um, yes, there are peaceful Muslims. But the religion itself is a criminal enterprise. Now, if you bring one Muslim over, like this banker, my, my friend's parents, if you bring one pair of them over and settle them, they'll be fine. But if you bring a million of them and settle them, it's the end of the world. And I don't understand why people don't get this. And Anne has all the statistics and all the anecdotes in her book about what has happened. With so, so the idea is, for instance, you would, you would ban uh, entirely Syrian refugees, for example. They're talking about bringing a lot of Syrian refugees. You would say, no, forget it. Again, I, I'm not sure how much... Uh, how much latitude I would give the president because obviously um, I was, um, for instance, when, when George Bush uh, said that, uh, you know, he was only intercepting the, um, the phone calls of, of terrorists who are calling into the U.S. And that's, that's all he's doing. I was like, yeah, damn right, George, you should do that. And then I find out that he's lying to me. And right. Obama's doing the same thing and they're collecting all our international phone calls. Right. And, and, and so they lie. And Obama brings these Somalian refugees in, even though that's against the law, where you're not supposed to do this unless you, there's, you know, there's rationale for it. And he does it anyway. And so I don't know how much uh, uh, latitude I would give. I mean, I could go into the Ed, Ed Maslish uh, viewpoint and say, yeah, let all the Syrian Christians come in. Leave out the Muslims. Uh, I could say that. I would like to say that. I don't know how that would work. But I mean, I mean, and fun. couldn't couldn't a person if if the person knew that that was the litmus test, then they would just lie about what their religious belief system was. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, one of my doctors is a right. Syrian Christian who came to the United States uh, and stayed. She's a great person. Uh, her parents are still in Syria, although they're mostly in Lebanon because Syria is unlivable. Because um, uh, they have a business in Syria. Right, they, right. And I asked her, why Why didn't her parents just come to the United States? And she said, well, she asked them to do it, and there's a way, but they wouldn't They wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've so, heard of stories like that, too, where people uh, could have the opportunity and they end up just not taking it. Ayn Rand's sister was, uh, was one yeah. of those. Um, Stuart, do you have a response to Ed? Yes. Well, first of all, I think I'm very much against any type of philosophic screening. I mean, a membership of a terrorist organization is not is beyond philosophy. That's you know that gets out of the realm of thought or discourse and gets into action. But I mean, I think that this whole notion of us protecting our liberty and our freedom of speech and freedom of thought by screening people and blocking them from entering the country based on illiberal thoughts is you know, completely self-contradictory because just people having illiberal thoughts 
it doesn't necessarily translate to illiberal action. They have the ability to change their minds. And remember, the laws are ultimately enforced at gunpoint. So if we deport people or if we stop them from entering the country, we point a gun at them saying, no, no, we're going to use force against you if you persist in trying to come and stay in the United States. So basically, if we say, well, people have illiberal thoughts, therefore we're keeping them out of the country, that is policing thought, thought control. And, you know, when I went to university, I was surrounded by people who, native-born Americans, you know, third-generation, fourth-generation native-born Americans, who were probably communists. They loved Noam Chomsky. They said all right. these liberal things. And, of course, it made me really angry, and I see it in my seat as a professor spouted his indoctrination to them. And you could ask, ask me, well, wouldn't, be, wouldn't America be a better, better place if they were all deported? You know, and my initial response would be, yeah, that would be great. I'd be so much less annoyed. <laughs> but seriously, no, that's not an answer. You know, if, if these people are, are suggesting illiberal ideas and use force, force against them to, against, based on their illiberal ideas, I'm becoming what I object to. I'm the one initiating the use of force. That's why free speech is so important. That's why we can talk to people, you know, and show them why freedom is so much better. You know, well, really, I really, I think what we're going to end up having to figure out is we have to figure out more about what it is to be a nation and what the government of a nation owes its own citizens versus people who are trying to enter from the outside, right? Um, and is is there a difference? Of course, we know that there's a difference with respect to some sort of invasion from, uh, you know, clearly hostile force. But when there's people who aren't necessarily, you know, you know, coming here to do harm necessarily, but, you know, to what extent can you can you screen them out? There are opportunities in our country now if enough people become citizens of the immigrant population they would apparently vote 80% Democrat. That's the statistics that we get. And you could add millions of new Democrat voters simply by granting amnesty to, you know, all of these immigrants. What do you, you know, what do you, what do you do with something like that? And you could say, well, we're not going to grant them citizenship then, but then, you know, on what grounds are you withholding citizenship? Is it an ideological test and is that appropriate or is the problem our system where you could actually vote in people who create Obamacare? I think really that's the problem, not necessarily these uh, potential citizens. Yes or no? Well, well, I'm okay with resident aliens. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, okay. If, if you're, if you're going to have them be resident aliens and not grant them citizenship and your primary reason for doing that is just to keep them from voting a certain way, does is that legitimate? Oh no! Oh no! That's not what I meant. I meant if they want, if they're not, if they want to apply for citizenship, I'm not against that. If they want to remain resident aliens, you know, I'm not going to do either way. That's what I meant. And Ed, what would you I, say? I, um, I think we're getting, you know, I mean, we started kind of uh, roundabout. We we're getting to the the crux of the issue, and that is, uh, um, do people who are not citizens of the United States have a right to come here. And if mm -hmm. they do, then it's Harry Benzwangerville for all of us. No borders, no checkpoints, no nothing. If they have a right to come here, not have a right to come here if they're not criminals or if they're, you know, have a background check. If they have a right, 
a right, then it's no borders. Or do they not have a right? And, and, and if they don't have a right, you know, why not? And I tried to talk in one of my posts about, about that, but I certainly don't have time now to go into it. But I think that's the real question, because if they don't have a right to, to come here, then, in fact, the government can use whatever rationale it wants to to keep them uh, to keep this one out or that one out. Now, I, I don't. I think I, I think an irrational policy is wrong, and the government shouldn't do it. But again, if they don't have a right to come here, just like, for instance, Stuart and Amy, you don't have a right to come in my house. Right. That, I could be in a bad mood that day and say, "Hey, Stuart, stay the hell out. Amy, you come in." Or I could do it both. Or you could both come in. Or you could both tell a guy out. Because you have no right to come in my house. And if right. United States but, like, but a nation is not like, like one big house, right? Um, no, I think, it, I, I think to a certain extent it is. And that gets okay. into this idea of what is a nation that we talked about earlier. And I think right. uh, to, a certain, to a certain extent, yes, that, that's a weak analogy. But it is an analogy. And I think the country can determine who comes in. And they can do it by statistical analysis. God, Honduras is nothing but a bunch of murdering drug gangs. No Hondurans. And you say, well, there's this innocent poor little Honduran with eyes like a kitten. Why not her? It's like, tough. They don't have the right. So it's it's that issue. It's, it's do they have a right? In which case we're in, well. And then and then the not? then the question would be, are you know maybe we're we're justified in taking some actions based on statistics, but not necessarily keeping people out completely based on statistics. It would be extra screening potentially at their expense or, or very steep bonds or whatever it is that we end up doing. But, you know, would we then be, you know, justified in doing that? I mean, you've got a, you know, a government, a government has the you know, monopoly on the use of force within a particular geographic area. And it is, you know, we delegate to the government the protection of our rights, part of which is to make sure people don't just come in and, you know, start doing horrible things to us. And a proper immigration policy, you could see as as part of what that is, um, you know, the ability to just kind of waltz in as a right. I, I wouldn't try to assert that as 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 a right. But then again, you'd say, well, you know, he's a human being and this is just a, a globe. And why can't somebody just walk across a border? Um, it's this is this is really the question that that has to be answered. Yeah, I mean, I would I would like to close with this. I know it's getting late. Um, uh, people on both sides of this issue, and I don't think some of the open borders people uh, get this, are of um, uh, we're all of us are arguing in good faith. None of us right. are racists, like Harry Benzinger calls us. Uh, we are arguing in good faith because this is a hard question. And I, I have no animus towards Stuart. I have no animus towards the people who uh, argue with me on your blog at all. They're trying to do the best they can. I'm trying to do the best I can. And uh, I, I, I do have a problem with Harry Binsmeyer calls us racist. But I don't, I think we all need to understand that this is a hard problem. It's a debatable problem. It's not something we're going to solve by, uh, you know, a three-step deduction from Ayn Rand's man's rights. It 
something we have to look at the actual world and see how it works before we get the answer. And I'll close okay. with that. Okay, thanks very much, Ed, for, for calling in and for talking. You've got about a minute if you want, Stuart, as well. Okay, first of all, saying the nation is a big house is, is applying socialism to real estate. I mean, in real life, you know, our land is separating by, separated by a bunch of better borders, boundaries between private plots. And if you don't want Honduras on your private plots, that's fine. But if you say, I can't peaceably invite Honduras onto my private plot, when they haven't done anything to you, you're saying the government should dictate over what goes on on what's supposed to be my private plot. That is socialism. And I would like to remind people that, uh, spoiler alert, at the end of We the Living, someone tries to cross the border illegally, seeking greater freedom. And, you know, and you don't ha and we don't have to call people racist to object to a whole group of people being painted with a broad brush. You know, right. and people think Asians are really docile people, sort of a mild minority. But when I look at how Chinese and Japanese people are portrayed in newspapers from the 1800s, there is this notion that they're very illiberal, illiberal, you know, violent people. Stuart, I've, I've only got only identity. got a couple more seconds, Stuart. And Only got a couple more seconds. So, I, I really got. I do. I do have so, to actually cut you off there. I'm sorry, Stuart. Um, I think that we'll just go ahead and continue this discussion over at the blog. Again, if you go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you can see the long <laughs> string of comments on both. And on this debate, how do you think that our status as a nation? Um, contributes and, and what can you say about our status as a nation as it affects the rights of somebody to walk across the border? Should there be any check at the border? If so, what should that consist of? No check at the border. Should there be quotas, not quotas? Should there be a differential treatment based on what country someone is from? If so, on what basis? These are questions that we've been grappling with here today. I thank Stuart and Ed for joining in here and no, it wasn't too much of a smackdown. Harold, I'm sorry we did not get to talk to you, but I really did want to have these two sides kind of battle it out here today. I hope we get to talk more about this uh, maybe next week in uh, a future show. So have a good night, everyone, and we'll join you here next week. I think it's going to be on Friday. And subscribe. I'll tell you what time next week. Take care.